Welcome to the Inclusion Think Tank podcast brought to you by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education, NJCIE. As the name suggests, this podcast will discuss inclusive education and most importantly, why it works. On today's episode, we welcome our guest, Lederic Horn. Lederic is a poet, advocate, and speaker. During our conversation today, we discuss how teachers can support those students with hidden disabilities as it relates to inclusive education. I would like to welcome everyone back to another episode of the Inclusion Think Tank podcast presented by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education. I'm your host, Arthur Aston, and I'm very happy to welcome my guest today, poet, advocate, and speaker, Lederic Horn, to the podcast. Welcome, and uh, we are very happy to have you here today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Art. Yeah. So um, in researching for this episode, uh, for this conversation with you, I read your uh, bio on your website, and it said that you are a bridge builder between learners and leaders. And I just, I really love that because I think, um, like, it, it is, it's something that does have to be bridged, you know, because the learners and the leaders and the teachers and everybody else in that education world, everybody must, um, you know, they must work together. They must find a way to connect to each other. So I love that um, analogy that you use of, of being a bridge builder. And with that in mind, can you um, tell us what inclusive education means to you and how would you define inclusive education? Well, I, I would define inclusive education as a uh, collaborative approach to education that utilizes the resources of everyone in the school community in order to uh, foster the success of all students. And what it means to me is that it, uh, it allows a pathway by which we can uh, rethink and reimagine education. Um, and uh, particularly for those of us who are uh, folks with disabilities, those, those of us who are neurodiverse, um, uh, I would really say just for any sort of marginalized people passing through the, the education system, I think that it allows for a different approach to education that uh, increases the probability that we'll all be successful. Yes, I think that is the um, the biggest goal there that we are all successful and we reach our full potential, our fullest potential, because we all have something to contribute uh, to the world, to society, to our communities. And um, again, it's it's that bridge building, that connecting the two sides of the learners and the educators and uh, everybody involved in the school system that um, this can be achieved by uh, working collaboratively. And um, so that that's, I love that answer. And I love the last statement of it that we can all be successful because that is, uh, as someone who lives with a disability, I know I have faced a lot of um, uh, stereotypes that people have had about those who have disabilities and um, my disability is visible. So it's automatically assumed that I can't do certain things. So, you know, so I, I really have uh, had that struggle and had those uh, challenges uh, placed in front of me by other people. 
uh, most of my life, and thankfully I have worked my way through it, and I think we can all really uh, benefit from an inclusive education setting, uh, as you mentioned. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm a, a person with a learning disability, um, so my 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 uh, challenges aren't necessarily um, as visible. Um, uh, the, the other thing about that line, I think, which is which is powerful, is uh, particularly when it comes to inclusive education, is I, I think there's an embedded within there that um, that students are a part of the process, right? That uh, inclusive education is something and, and education in general is something that should not just be um, handed down from the adults in the room, but that the student voice, um, that the, the student voice for an individual student in their education is important. And I think that is in line with the, um, the ideals of self-determination and self-advocacy. And then I also think as far as the shaping of policies and practices um, that students should have a, a say in that uh, as well. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you, you pointed that out. Yeah, it is. It's so important that we, you know, as the student, that the student has a voice as well, whether it's through themselves or through their parents or, um, you know, another advocate in that way. But it is, um, it's important that all voices at the table be heard and uh, listened to and contribute to the conversation of how the inclusive education uh, setting can work for, for everybody, because it does improve uh, and improves the classroom for everybody involved. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, um, as you mentioned, you do have a, a learning disability. You were diagnosed in the third grade. Um, what is it that you remember about your learning experience after your diagnosis? Uh, were you in an inclusive classroom uh, that included your, your peers that were also with and without disabilities? Or how... Um, how how was your uh, school experience after your diagnosis of uh, with the learning disability? Well, we're really gonna we're gonna really drill down to it, right? <laughs> when I was first diagnosed, when I was nine years old, I was in the third grade. The first label I was given was that I was neurologically impaired, and I'm I'm not sure at the time whether that was a, a shorthand for a specific learning disability. Uh, what have you, but what I do know from talking to colleagues who were working in education at the time, particularly here in New Jersey, was that well, that was a fairly common label given uh, particularly the black boys um, who were being recognized uh, as, as needing support for special education. So um, was I in an inclusive educational setting? Absolutely not. Um, I was, I'm a part of the, the first generation of people to pass through what we now refer to as special education. And a big part of that was, I think, around just trying to figure out where to place us in the school. So I was in uh, initially in a, in a resource room, which was a teacher storage closet, and then um, placed into a self-contained special education classroom that was at the, um, the end of the hall in, the, in my elementary school. And that's basically where I stayed all day long. I went, uh, we would go down the hall as a class to art class. Um, we would go uh, down the hall for a gym together and then, you know, uh, uh, the, go to the cafeteria for lunch. But for the most part, uh, I spent, I spent about three and a half years in this one, this one room 
um, with the same teacher and the same students. So I would I would not think of it as a, as an inclusive setting. Um, I would think of it as being a very segregated setting. Not of course not the worst uh, form of segregation. You know we have plenty of schools here in in the state of New Jersey and then all over the country. Uh, and districts that build entirely separate schools for students with learning disabilities or, or, um, or other other disabilities. Um, so it wasn't to that extreme, but um, I definitely, I remember very early on feeling like I was um, I was less than other students, right? And it and it really began. I I I recall the first day, right, where like I I'd been in you know, regular ed classes and then like, here's the day where you're gonna start going to special ed. And that very first morning, I go to my bus stop and a short bus pulls up. And so it was sort of determined that even though the transportation that I was going to utilize in order to get back and forth to school was going to be segregated. Um, that's a real slap in the face. You know, my grandfather was Simeon Horn. He passed away in 2013, but he was the head of uh, the New Brunswick chapter of the NAACP during the heart of the civil rights movement. And he's a part of the generation who fought and put their lives on the line to integrate our schools, to integrate public transportation. And here I am, his grandson. And because of a cognitive difference, um, I have to ride on a segregated bus and go to a very segregated setting to be educated. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I, I was not an inclusive setting. I remember, I remember that separation, that segregation, um, really working away on how I felt about myself, um, left me with a lot of emotional scars that even now as an adult, um, I am still working very hard to, to rectify and correct. Um, and so I, you know, I, I, you know, for the for the for the families, for the educators listening to this, I, I would I would uh, caution everyone to really think about the way in which we we uh, engineer education, and particularly around the places where we place our, where we put our students within our schools, because it does have a, a lasting effect. You know, and and of the adults, the young adults, and the and the you know, full grown adults that I have had the pleasure of working with and getting to know over the years, those of us with disabilities. Um, who st still struggle or maybe who have reached a degree of success and are still sort of working through different issues, most of us are dealing with issues related to mental health, right? It tends not to be like at a certain point, you can figure out all the accommodations. You know, I, I've, I, I still have issues with spelling. I still have issues with reading, but I figured a lot of that out, right? Where I can be a functional um uh contributing you know member of our society um but the that classroom that separate space still sits within me and the 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 challenge also comes because i had a i had a great special ed teacher i mean this woman was remarkable academically i did a lot better um but but uh separate is rarely equal and um you know, and, and we all tend to compare ourselves to our peers. And I was very clear that that I was sort of ranked towards the bottom of our school's hierarchy. And um, so it, it left it left a lasting effect on me. Um, so so much so that as I was facing graduation uh, from high school, I was in my junior year. I actually had what I diagnosed as an emotional breakdown um, because I just I could not conceptualize what was going to happen to me as an adult. 
I had never seen any examples of people who were uh, in special ed who were as, as successful as I wanted to be. I didn't, um, I didn't see any examples of anyone who say, had the same challenges around learning, who was able to go to college and then have an excellent career. And so it, you know, and, and I was just honestly exhausted after years of trying to pass for normal. Um, uh, so, so it just, it just got to the point where I, I couldn't, couldn't hack it anymore, but I was fortunate that it, in that dark space, I used it as an opportunity to just redefine who I wanted to be, redefine who I thought I was. And I just got determined that I was going to have an excellent future. And so I came out of that with a drive to go to college and I was able to achieve that. I was a part of a great support system for folks with disabilities. And it was really only when I got to college that I, I got to be a part of what I think of as an inclusive educational setting. You know, special ed was done. I had to go to class with everybody else. I got my accommodations. I took my test outside of the class. Um, and it was in that setting where I was really able to blossom. So a big part of the work that I, I do now is just around helping people to, to reimagine what our schools can look like. Um, that, um, you know, I think there's a sort of organizational momentum that gets built up and uh, it becomes very easy just to keep doing things the way, that, the way that we've always been doing them. But my own personal experience and then my professional experience tells me that the way most of our schools function does not serve all students. Um, so, yeah, so, um, you know, I'm a big, a big supporter of inclusion um, and primarily because I, I didn't get it while I was, while I was going through school. Yeah, I, um, it's, it's so funny, like thinking back now, um, and listening to what you were saying about where the special ed classrooms were in the building and what message that sends to the student, like, uh, and even like you said, when you went, um, to, to the bus stop and you saw the shorter bus show up, it's like, that's something I never, you know, I never thought about it that way. And it's just like, automatically you realize that you you are segregated and you're you're different than everybody else and it's like yeah man it's like yo it was in my i it was in my iep art wow. like you know short bus ride the short bus like i don't know how that was supposed to help me learn algebra right right but um <laughs> but but you know and, and i think like so much of this comes out of like you know, I think a, a clear understanding of the history of our educational system, mm -hmm. um, the, 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 the fact that you know, we had so many people with disabilities who were legally prevented from going to school with everybody else. And so, you know, there's this intense need to sort of maintain a wall um, between you know, the, the regular kids and us, right? Um, and so that, that begins with transportation and, and continues through um, where we get placed within the school building itself. Yeah, and I also loved what you um, mentioned about your, your grandfather and what he fought for. And then here you are, you know, facing the same things that he was fighting against and, uh, you know, trying to to uh, fix in, uh, in society. And so that, that's really uh, very powerful. Um, message that that you said and and really glad that you brought that up yeah and i and I, and I and before you go to the next question i just i think it is important too that we also just remember that there is a racial component to all of this as well right like you know we get disproportionality is it tends to be a really real problem um you know here in new jersey we have we have real issues around it that have been documented for many many years um so um 
you know, unfortunately, far too many black and brown boys are the ones who tend to get pla placed in these segregated settings. Um, tend, you know, when there are issues around um, challenges with learning, we tend to be the ones who get placed with the diagnosis that ne don't necessarily lead to supports with learning, you know, but instead deal with being separated from everybody else. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I hope that my work now is a continuation of my, my grandfather's fight. Yeah. Um, so the, the next question I have, it I admit it was not on the original set of questions I sent you, but I have to bring it up <laughs> yeah. um, in researching. And as I mentioned in your intro, you are a poet. I listened to your uh, albums uh, over the last week or so, and I really love the Alex Place soundtrack. <laughs> um, so can you talk about your poetry and um, your writing and how... Uh, did you use that as a way to help you, uh, you know, cope with uh, with life and your your disability and, and just getting through school and and what that um, you know what that process is for you and how do you come up with uh, such great uh, poetry tracks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, thank thank you for that. Yes. Um, uh, so when uh, art has always been an important important part of my life. Um, and I think uh, I was showing signs of being a writer and a, a wordsmith and a poet when I was very, very young. But sort of the, the, the tyranny of spelling prevented me from expressing uh, any of that ability. ability. You know, I, I didn't learn to, to really write until I got to college. And, and once I learned how to write a grammatically correct sentence and then essays, um, and then once I got the freedom to just write and not worry about spelling until, you know, until the final draft, um, then that gave me the freedom to, to begin to write poetry. But I was always um, obsessively trying to capture language um, expressed well. And so when I was real young, it was a tape recorder that I would carry around with me and record dialogue from TV or song lyrics that I really enjoyed. Um, so it's, it's always been there. And then, you know, it's a lot of black boys in special ed. And, you know, I went through school in the 80s and the 90s, and um, I was surrounded by a lot of guys that were remarkable uh, MCs. And so um, you know, the ability to, to rap and express themselves and express very, very complicated ideas and uh, very complex and entertaining ways. Um, that was something that was always around me. My father was a cross country coach. And so he could, you know, motivate people and um, tell a story. Um, and same for my grandfather. Um, so I always was just, I was surrounded by words. Um, and uh, early on in life, uh, I really express myself through visual art, so it was drawing, um, and I have a I have a BA in mathematics, and I minored in fine art with an emphasis in painting. So, um, but I'm more of a draftsman than anything. Um, but but once I once I got to college and once I learned how to write um, prose, then then I allowed myself to be a poet, and uh, started going to open mics um, and performing and. You know, the earliest poetry that I remember hearing were um, my mother's like last poet albums and the last poets were a revolutionary poetry group from the 60s. Um, and uh, and then as I got older, just 
poetry for me always became about giving voice to political struggle. Um, so once I um, once I graduated from college and began doing work around advocating for people with disabilities, it almost felt natural that I would apply um, my writing skills to to this struggle. Um, and so, um, yeah, that's that's you know I, I tend to start every single one of my workshops or my keynotes with poetry, um, work it in throughout, you know, in with a poem. Um, sometimes I have you know, teachers writing raps, you know, doing, <laughs> doing things like that. I, I find it to be a very effective tool to, to teach and uh, to teach with, and then also uh, an effective tool in being able to convey the emotion of where I think we need to be um, in order to get this work done. Yeah, I, I was really, um, really excited to see that you had the, um, the poetry albums out. I write a little bit myself and, um, I primarily, for me, it was to express the emotion of things that I was dealing with at the time, whether it be happy things, sad things, things that irritated me and made me angry, um, you know, so just writing and getting it out. And, um, you know, so I, I really was interested in, in hearing how you uh, came to came to be a, a poet. And uh, I, th I think it's great how you said like it was like it was in you because of your father and your grandfather and your mom, like you know, showing, hearing uh, poetry from them and storytellings and uh, all of that from them. That, that's really, really great. So you have written a book called Empowering Students with Hidden Disabilities, A Path to Pride and Success. Um, and within that book, you provide insight on how students with disabilities, um, like learning disabilities and other hidden disabilities, uh, can be supported. Can you share with us... Um, what an inclusive classroom that supports students with hidden disabilities would look like to you? I think I think there are a number of elements. Um, one of one of the things that I think is really specific for the challenges faced by students with his with hidden disabilities is that um, many of us can choose to be closeted as people with disabilities, right? So even now as an adult, if I wanted to, I could go through my whole life and kind of act like reading and spelling and math is not a big issue for me, right? And maybe if I'm lucky, I can find myself in a job or a career that plays more to my strengths and less to my, my challenges. And I can just kind of kind of coast on by. Um, I know that was a big part of like how I just sort of spent my energy and where my thoughts went when I was a young person, just like, I'm going to try to act like everybody else, right? Now, if I had a wheelchair, mm -hmm. that might be a little bit harder, right? Mm -hmm. You know, people would look at me and be like, nah, there's something else going on, right? But I've seen this, you know, like I, I have a colleague with a visual impairment who started losing his sight in, in middle school. And he talked about, you know, getting to the point where it was like dangerous for him to be moving around without utilizing a cane. Like he, it, it took him actually falling down a flight of stairs in his school um, and thankfully not hurting himself, but sitting there on his back and being like, all right, I got to, I got to, I got to really embrace this. And so I think the, the piece around embracing your disability um, is, is one that we really lean into in the book, both me and my, my co-author, Mar uh, Dr. Margot Izzo, um, that disability can be a positive identifier, that there's a lot of strength that actually comes from uh, incorporating disability and being part of your identity. 
um, and that it doesn't need to be something that is stigmatized, but can instead be uh, thought of as being a part of the um, continuum of, of human diversity. Um, so, you know, a, a classroom where uh, every student um, is very clear about what their strengths and their challenges are. You know, I can see a classroom where, um, you know, where, and particularly as our students get get older, where they're able to articulate to their teacher, you know, no, this this is this is how I need this information presented to me. Um, and then uh, I think it's also a, you know, for me, it's a it's also a place where, regardless of how a student presents, um, that all of our educators are looking for the ways in which they can be of uh, most support, right, for for all of our students, um, and particularly those with hidden disabilities. Yeah, that um, <clears throat> as you said, it's it's uh, like I, I mentioned, I use uh, crutches and a wheelchair at times, so it is very difficult for me to. <laughs> I can't hide uh, right. my disability <laughs> at all. People, uh, you know, people might not know what it is right away when they see me or when I approach, but they know, like you said, something else is going on here. <laughs> um, <Right>. So, <laughs> you know, so and, and, and uh huh. Yeah, and 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 I wonder, like, and it, it's probably if it's is this right, I'm sure it's probably annoying, but I'm sure you also have probably people offering help all the time, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. and probably unwanted most of the time, right? Yes. So <laughs> I'm glad, and I, and that, and I am glad that, that they ask. I'm glad that they ask if I need help, though, because there are the people that just go right for it and they grab the bags from you, or they, oh, here, let me help you. Like no 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 please please don't. Yeah yeah I've been doing this a long time like this, <laughs> and that can actually cause more harm than good because if you grab something from me and I'm on my crutches I can fall I can you know it throws off my balance and I can fall so it's always uh, I always appreciate it that people ask before they help, <laughs> and uh, right. you know I can it's... gladly tell them you know thank you I I got it and you know and then we move on from there but. Just don't um, yeah. walk up and grab stuff from me and all of that. <laughs> That's the word. And and the the challenge the challenge for you know folks with hidden disabilities is no one's going to ask us for help, mm -hmm. right? Um, and you know and, and particularly as you transition into the adult world, and whether it be trying to find success within a uh, institution of higher higher education or independent living or in the workforce, no one's going to ask for help. Like I have to, right? And it's part of the work that I do is encouraging our students to be comfortable raising their hand and saying, "Hey, I need assistance here." You know, and that that goes from just sort of navigating the world uh, right into accessing the office of, of accessibility and disability supports on a college campus, or going to HR on your job and saying, "Hey, here are some uh, accommodations that I need." Um, or, or being comfortable having a conversation with the people that you meet, uh, friends, family, uh, associates about the sort of supports that, that, that you might need just to make a social interaction happen in an optimal way, right? Like I, I get really distracted. I'm not, we're talking here, but I'm like watching squirrels, right? Mm -hmm. Out of my window here, right? Like distraction is a, is a big issue for me. Um, and so, you know, when I go out to dinner, uh, uh, you know, we're like we're recording this during the pandemic, but like when we used to go out to dinner, mm -hmm. um, I would always have to make sure that like I'm not facing the big screen TV or you know or the window or what have you. Like if I'm trying to have a conversation with my wife, I'm trying to have a conversation with my wife, 
And so, you know, I'll do all that I can to kind of block block out those distractions. Yeah, it's um, it goes back to what you were saying before of embracing your disability and knowing what, um, you know, being comfortable, like you said, being comfortable with saying like, hey, I didn't understand that. I need some assistance. Right. Uh, right. Can you, you know, can you repeat that or, you know, bring that back around for me one more time and uh, let me know. And then also um, creating the setting for yourself, as you just mentioned, of using the um, going out to dinner as an example you know, blocking out those barriers uh, for yourself that you know would cause a distraction if that is your, um, you know, if, if that's something that is uh, difficult for you to, to focus when other things are going on. So, uh, yeah, thank you for uh, this great conversation. Again, it was uh, really great to meet you virtually. And thank you for your time today and uh, for the information you shared and, you uh, sharing your story. I, I really appreciate that part of this conversation. I think it's important that we do hear real stories of um, people with disabilities uh, like yourself who have gone through the education system and um, and now you're doing something to um, make it better, to improve it for other students coming up uh, now. And, um, you know, so I really appreciate this conversation and thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Inclusion Think Tank podcast. This podcast is brought to you by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube or Spotify, and don't forget to follow us on social media at NJCIE. Until next time.